imagine sitting in the doctor's office and they walk in and they say, I'm sorry, it's too late. You have cancer or whatever disease. Fight back from that now. Don't wait until you've already lost the fight. Take care of yourself now so that you don't have to have that conversation at a point where you're then regretting and wishing you'd done something different. Hi, everyone. Welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host, Sharad Lal. This is episode 21. In today's podcast, we focus on health. We speak with Zach Tucker and Jeremy Gratter, founders and hosts of the podcast The Fit Mess, a leading fitness podcast in the US. For nearly a decade, they've pushed themselves to learn more about their physical, emotional, and mental health. Back in 2017, they launched The Fit Mess for folks who are sick of their own shit and ready to make a change. In this podcast, they interview the biggest names in health and fitness. The goal is to help people take small steps every week towards a healthy, fulfilling life. In our conversation, we speak about their individual journeys towards fitness, how to deal with bad habits that limit fitness, junk food, alcohol, and cigarette addiction, the mental aspect of getting one's life in order, the importance of emotions and vulnerability, especially for men it's difficult for us, the role of curiosity, community, and motivation in one's fitness journey, and a lot more. But before getting to the interview, here's thanking all of you for supporting this podcast. With your support, we hit number three in Singapore, we're top 5% globally, and are listened to in over 65 countries. Thank you very much for this. For new listeners, please do consider subscribing and giving us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you in advance. Now here's the interview. Hi, Zach and Jeremy. Welcome to How to Live. Congratulations on all the success with your podcast, The Fit Mess. I know you guys are helping so many people who are struggling with their fitness journeys. What inspired you guys to start this? I was really set up for failure right from the beginning. I had pretty traumatic uh, childhood in, in the sense that my mom would leave me alone for days on end when I was four, five, and six years old. I mean, I had to fend for myself very early, which led to the government having to step in and actually take us away from my mom and really just kind of set me up for a, a life of anxiety and depression and going down generally the wrong roads. And I didn't have a good role model to teach me anything about being healthy, both mentally and physically. And by the time I was 20, I was 300 pounds. I was drinking Mountain Dew every day. I ate at McDonald's every day because my friend was a manager there and I got free food. And as a college student, you always take the free food. Always. Mm -hmm. And I was smoking cigarettes and I was just in really bad shape. And I was hanging around the wrong people and just going down the wrong road. And somehow I turned things around and got back into college and got my degree. And when I went for my first job, I went to the interview with a nicotine patch on because I didn't want to smell like smoke. And I got the job. And my very first day, my boss looked at me and said, oh, I didn't realize you smoked. If I had known that, I would have never hired you for this. And something about that just really kicked me and made me start thinking about quitting smoking, not to be healthier, but because my career was at stake here. Mm -hmm. So I quit smoking. And then there was another activity of, you know, getting involved with a group for running at the same job. So I joined up for that. And again, still almost 300 pounds and had just quit smoking and drinking Mountain Dew every day still and could barely run a mile. And I just, I stuck with it and 
got the 5k in and was able to start running. And that was almost 20 years ago. And since then, it's just been one small change after another to the point where today I am healthy mentally, physically. I'm okay with who I am. I don't, I don't battle my depression and anxiety as much as I used to. And Jeremy and I met probably 10 years ago and we started to have conversations between two guys around being depressed and anxious and the, the struggle of of just being a dad or a human being in this world with all these issues. And we really started to get vulnerable and Jeremy can share his story, but we felt that those stories, those things we were talking about Mm. needed to be out there and other guys needed to hear us being vulnerable. So they knew it was okay to talk about this stuff. And that's how the podcast was born. Yeah. And my story begins many years of eating really bad foods and making bad choices. And a lot of it was based on the fact that there was some trouble at home. There was some alcoholism in the house. And that definitely brings up all kinds of insecurity and, and problems for a kid that's that's grown up in that environment. And so I would feed that that pain with junk food. My mom would stock the pantry with all kinds of stuff. And, and every commercial and every TV break was go get whatever junk food is in the pantry. And that sort of cycle continued for, for many years, uh, well into adulthood. Eventually, I, I, I was trying to, to do better things, take better care of myself. And I had this really dumb knee injury. And the physical therapist said, if you don't get on a bike, you're going to end up replacing both of your knees before too long. And so I started doing that. I started riding my bike. And in doing so, I not only started to lose a bunch of weight, but I really discovered the ability to be present in the moment. When you're riding through city streets on a bike trying to get to work, if, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing in that moment, you're going to get hit by a car. Something terrible is going to happen. So I really started to find a lot of peace in that chaotic moment. And so I wanted to, to seek out other ways to bring that into my life. And so I actually found a therapist who introduced me to meditation. And I started to find more and more peace. And I lost more and more weight. And everything was just coming into alignment and feeling really good. And I knew I wanted to do more. And it was when I met Zach that I saw that that he was a few steps ahead of me on the journey. And so we started just sharing what was working, what wasn't. And, and he had a lot of good advice because he was a little bit ahead of me. And the more we had these conversations and the more vulnerable that we got, the more we, like he said, we realized these are conversations that we don't hear other guys having. And we felt it was a really special thing that we had. And so we just wanted to share that with people so that they could see it's possible for two guys to have these open conversations and to share that it is a struggle, that it is hard to take care of yourself. It's hard to, to put yourself first and, and to do whatever it takes to be the best dad you can be and the best husband you can be while also trying to achieve all of your own personal goals. So like he said, that was really the birth of the show and, and the mission that we've been on for the last few years since we started. Thank you guys for sharing that. That's really inspirational. And Both your stories have a trigger point. For you, Zach, it was, you may not have a good career if you continue to smoke. Once that trigger point comes and then you look at your life and look at how you've been living life, having junk food, smoking, abusing your body, what does that feel like? And how does that start translating into a motivation to change? It's a great question. I actually specifically remember that moment when he said those words to me. I was in shock for probably an hour. I I had never even contemplated that I would hear something like that. I had tried to quit smoking multiple times. 
for anyone who has smoked, they know it's incredibly difficult to quit. Absolutely. And I still consider it one of the hardest things I ever did. And I still have dreams occasionally where I start smoking in my dream and I wake up terrified that I have to quit again. But I remember the next couple of weeks, I, my internal motivation really started to build and I really started to solidify on what's important in my life and my career was going to be important. I always knew it was going to be important, but I knew I had to start making changes in order for that career to be as good as I wanted it to be. And it was an interesting couple of weeks where it slowly started to build. I remember the motivation was there. Then it was a little more the next day, a little more the next day. And I think it was three weeks after that comment where I came up with a different solution for quitting smoking and I implemented it and it worked. That time it worked. And it was, again, like once I quit smoking, things changed and I started tracking the data on how how much, how many dollars I had saved by not smoking. And I started to build momentum. And that really, again, like I said earlier, led to the next change, which led to the next change and the next change um, all the way down the line. One of the other things that tracked, I found a cool little Google tracker that you punch in the date that you quit smoking and the number of cigarettes that you smoked, and it would calculate the money that you saved, but it would also calculate the number of minutes, hours, days, and months that you would live beyond where you would have died from smoking. And that, that was a really powerful thing to see when I was two months into it. And you'd look at it and it said, you're going to live another two days because of what you're doing. Wow. Was, was there a change in the community, the people you hung out with, the activities that you did when you started on this journey? I think, yeah, it did. I still had the same base group of friends, but there were a couple of other people that came into my life who were very health conscious. And I think it was either the universe giving me what I needed But at that time, there was one friend in particular that that just showed up out of nowhere and we got along really well. And he was a marathon runner and we would go to the gym all the time. And he really helped me at the gym and showed me like how to do things from a physical standpoint. And after that, I moved to Seattle and really just made a whole new friend base that included Jeremy. And, And that's where the transformation really started to kick in. What were some of the advantages you were seeing in your body? Were you feeling things? Was it a healthy feeling? What was that like? Right off the bat, I didn't smell like smoke all the time and my I didn't stink. But I start like I said, I started to run probably a few months after I quit. And I remember trying to run while I was smoking. And I went to a track in the middle of the night because I didn't want anyone to see me because I was so big and heavy and I knew I would fail. And I didn't even get a quarter away around the track before I was like on my knees gasping for air. And even just a couple of months after I quit smoking, I went to a track in the daytime. People could see me and I made about a mile before I really fell over and had to take a break. But it was a substantial difference in like lung capacity that I noticed right away. It just got better and better to today where I've run half marathons and I work out pretty hard and I test my lungs on a regular basis and they're, they work pretty well for me now. So that's the other good thing that happens. You start seeing tangible benefits. Of course, there's data, but you also start seeing tangible benefits. You can run more, maybe you can sleep better, and that this motivates you further to go ahead. And then, of course, you've got the right community. You've got a role model who's doing this with you. So this entire thing comes to place as you move forward and helps you move in that journey. Absolutely. 
Jeremy, for your journey, I know you met Zach and, and that helped you. But at that mm-hmm. point of time, when your knee gave way and there was frustration, what was it like and how? where were you mentally at that point of time? The, the knee pain was definitely frustrating. But what was really surprising to me was that when the physical therapist said to, to get on a bike, and my reaction was, what am I, six? Who's going to go ride it? Who has time to go ride a bike? Like, I got a job. I got a family. And I did what I would normally do. I complained about it. And I complained about it to everybody that would listen. And one of the people I complained to was my brother. And he said something that changed my life, not only with regard to this particular activity, but in pretty much everything I've done since, is he just said, man, you just have to decide that you're the guy that, that weird guy that rides his bike to work now. Like you just have to own that identity. And once you become that person in your head, the actual activity of doing it will follow pretty quickly. And there was something about the way he said it and the way that I heard it at that moment that I just immediately was like, you're right. I've been the weird guy before. Now I'll just be the weird guy that rides his bike. <laughs> and so I got online. I found some used bike for a couple hundred bucks and, and I bought it. And within a week, I started taking this nine mile trip to work every day. And I just couldn't believe how easy it was to just adopt that identity, to just become that mm-hmm. person. And so whenever I'm faced with a challenge like that now, I try and remember that. I try and remember that no matter how difficult something seems, it's really a matter of just deciding that's what I do now. Last year, I complained to Zach for six months about how much I hate going to the gym and what a waste of time it feels like to sit in a room by myself lifting heavy things over and over again. And if I died in a month, would I want to look back on all the hours that I wasted in that gym lifting those heavy things when I could have been out in nature or playing with my kids or whatever? And I look back and they were all excuses. And one day I, we, we had an interview with a trainer that was coming up and he had all these workout videos. And I was like, well, I better do some of his workouts so that I at least know what I'm talking about. And I did them. And just the ability to walk into the room and have a plan and just do what I'm told was the key that it took to ha- have me go back every day since this entire year. I think I've only missed a handful of days. I know now that it's because when I went to the gym, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing. Mm. I was worried that whatever effort I was putting in was a waste of time because there was no strategy to it. I was just blindly picking different machines and and weights to lift and not really knowing why or how to do them. But now that I have a plan and I essentially have a trainer through these pre-recorded workouts, I'm seeing the results. I, I see that the amount of weight that I lift every day is a little bit more and I feel a little bit better every day. And so now when I do go for a hike, I can jump further across the stream if I need to. If I need to carry my kids across something that's a little treacherous, I'm way stronger and and can pull that off in an easier way. And so I'm starting to see the connections that it truly is training, right? It's not just weight training. It's not lifting weights. It's not working out, bro. It's preparing for life. It's preparing for those situations where I otherwise would not have been strong enough. And I would have had to say to my family, Oh, let's turn back. That's too much. Oh, we can't do this because we're not physically capable. Now I'm able to be the guy that's physically capable of getting his family from point A to point B and to feel really good about it. I remember specifically, I was in a pool with some friends recently. The dad that I was with was playing with his daughter. We were all doing the thing where we're launching our kids around and stuff. But he literally picked his daughter up. It was like 11-year-old daughter, picked her up over his head and threw her across the pool several feet. And for fun, he wasn't punishing her or anything. And I just remember thinking like, oh man, I wish I could do that. That seems like that'd be really fun. And then I realized, wait, I've been lifting weights. Maybe I can. And so I went over to my 11-year-old daughter and I said, let me try that. Let me see if I can do that. And I not only did it, but I didn't have to go underwater. I literally just picked her up and then I threw her even further 
than my friend did. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know I was capable of that. And she was laughing and everybody was having such a great time. And again, the dots were connecting of this is why I'm doing it. Mm. It's not for weight loss. It's not for looking good in the, in the mirror. It's not for comparing myself to my friends. It's for being able to show up and be the dad that I want to be and be the person I want to be in my life. So that now when I look back in 10 years or even five years, I know that the things I'm doing now are creating the life then that I want. Because I can look back at 10 years ago from now and realize the decisions I made then put me in this situation where it is harder and I have to work more to do the things I want to do. Where had I had the same foresight, I would have known to make better choices to be living the kind of life that I want to live now in the future. I could be living now had I made these decisions sooner. That's very powerful, Jeremy. There's so many things in there. The first thing that stands out is motivation. Like Zach, you had a very strong motivation, which was around family. And I have a friend who has a very similar motivation. He started his journey because he wanted to be able to hold both his daughters at the same time. And that Mm. was motivating enough, that visual. So I think motivation is a great one that you talked about. The second thing was identity. And James Clear in his book of Atomic Habits talks about the importance of identity when you're making a change. So it's like for Zach, maybe I'm not a smoker. It's not like I've quit smoking. I'm not a smoker. For you, I'm the guy who cycles to work, that identity Mm -hmm. and owning it. And third, which you talked about is having a strategy and a plan. So knowing what to do, how do I get from A to B, having a clear plan, whether it's a fitness plan, having that can help you move forward. So I think very powerful stuff for people listening. Those are some simple things that I did not know the impact that they would have on my life. It is amazing when you make that decision from whatever point triggers it. Zach had his trigger point of of smoking. I had my trigger point of an injury. We talk about all the time. There are people that wait until they have cancer. There are people that wait until it's too late and and whatever the diagnosis is, they then start going, oh, what can I, what foods should I eat to battle this? How much exercise can I do to try and slow this down or reverse it? We're very lucky. Our, Our rock bottoms, our trigger points were pretty harmless. Yes. And so and we early can, in life. Yeah. And, and if we can encourage anyone, if we can encourage one person to not wait until the doctor says it's too late to imagine that go that go there in your head, prepare for that. Imagine sitting in the doctor's office and they walk in and they say, I'm sorry, it's too late. You have cancer or whatever disease. Fight back from that now. Don't wait until you've already lost the fight. Take care of yourself now so that you don't have to have that conversation at a point where you're then regretting and wishing you'd done something different. Sometimes when we're in the middle of it, so let's say we're in the middle of binging junk food, we're in the middle of a bad lifestyle, what are some ways at that stage without the trigger point to somehow shake ourselves and work towards it before it's too late? Is there anything people could do, someone listening out here and say, hey, I don't care about it right now. I don't want to hear about it. What could be things that could actually trigger them out of it? I would say like in if you're eating junk food or something like that, just be curious about yourself and pay attention to why you're doing that thing. And don't necessarily stop it if, if it's not if it's not that important to you right now. Keep eating the junk food for the moment, but really just open yourself up and think about why are you eating that junk food or why are you doing that habit and look a little bit deeper, right? Again, you're not committing to stopping the habit. You're just committing to figuring out why you do the habit. And maybe when you go down that road and you figure out that, oh, I'm eating because I'm bored or I'm eating because I've got some emotions that I have not dealt with, maybe then you'll find your trigger point. If living, continuing to live, just continuing to live 
without thinking about what it is that you're doing and just being on autopilot the whole time, you're never going to have that moment. Mm -hmm. So you really got to be curious about what you're doing, why you're doing it and, and really sit down and figure out what's important to you. What's your why? What is it that you're on this earth to do? And if you can figure those things out, maybe, just maybe you'll find your trigger point. I still struggle with that. I feed my emotions all the time. And I have to, like Zach said, I have to, when I get to the pantry, I have to look at it and go, why am I here? Am I really hungry? When is the last time I ate? Do I physically feel hunger in my body? Most of the time, especially in in the Western world, you don't even feel hunger because we are just constantly eating. So if you can find hunger in your body, go for it. But maybe don't eat the Doritos. Maybe don't eat the hot dog. Like find something with nutrition in it that will feed your body the nutrients it needs. If it didn't grow out of the ground or come from an animal of some kind, if it's in a box or if it's in a bag, it's probably not something that you should be eating. And I'm not saying all the time. Again, I struggle with this myself and I like to enjoy my food as much as the next guy. But I also know that whenever I do open a box or open a bag, I have this realization of this is really not food. This was altered in a way to make it taste delicious and and trigger the dopamine and give me all the happy feelings, but it is void of nutrients. So I have to constantly remind myself that, that I'm either eating because I'm bored, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm sad, I'm not dealing with something, or perhaps on the rare occasion, I'm actually hungry. And in those cases, I just try and make the best choices I can uh, with, with the food that's in the house. Right. And curiosity is a little easier to do. It's not like confronting yourself and trying to change. It's more like just trying to find out what's going on. Uh, A lot easier for people to do. You guys Mm -hmm. talked about emotions and and that's such an important area when we're talking about transformation. Are there any emotions that you were able to identify in your journey that you'd like to talk about? Oh, (laughs) there's so many in the journey. I'll go back to quitting smoking. I know I had some very serious anger issues when I was quitting smoking that I had to figure out. And that was more of a chemical-induced anger. But going forward, once I started to really peel back the curtains and look under under my hood, I realized that the way I grew up was not normal. The way I was treated by my father was not normal. And I had a lot of, I had a traumatic childhood that buried a lot of things that I really didn't look at. I didn't take stock of. It wasn't until I really started to peel the emotions back because whatever the surface level emotion is, there's always something underneath it. And what I always found it went down to, whether I was depressed, anxious, angry, it always drilled down into being afraid about something afraid about being a failure or afraid about disappointing people or afraid of how I'm going to look in front of people. And it took me a long time and I'm still not okay with it, but you know, being afraid is a normal thing. Like Zach said, there's a lot. And as someone who's battled depression my entire life, emotions are, are a big part of this. A lot of the beginning of my journey started with getting off of antidepressants. I, I had tried a bunch of different ones and, and they either just completely turned off all emotion or fueled rage or, or did a bunch of different things. And there was one that I was on for a while and it was okay, but it just, it leveled everything out. So there were no highs, there were no lows. It just turned me into a robot. And then a little while later, maybe a couple of weeks, I, I stopped taking my antidepressants and I started to feel my feelings again for, for better or worse. I sort of liked the doors that that was opening for me and, and just seeing my own life in a different way again. I also started to realize how much I had been relying on alcohol to manage my emotions. And 
around the same time, again, within a few weeks, I decided, you know what, I think I'm just going to not drink for about a month and just see how that feels and, and see where that takes me. It's now been, what, four or five years since I've had a sip of alcohol in, in my life. I was just stunned at how often, when I took the bottle out of the equation, how many times I was forced to feel my feelings and go through them. But to perform worse emotionally for almost two years was a heavy burden. And it was, I'm sure, difficult for my family. And I learned a lot about myself in doing that. And so I would just recommend that, that if this sounds familiar, give yourself a month off and, and see where that goes. But build in a safety net. Like you, You've got to have people you can turn to, people that you can share that you're struggling and why you're struggling and, and the feelings that are coming up. Because for me, it was feelings that I'd been suppressing for 30 years, stuff that, that I carried with me as a kid. And it, it took until I was in my 40s, late 30s, to start recognizing that they were a part of the baggage I was carrying around. You, you were talking about the social circles with going down this this path, and it is such a lonely journey. And especially for me, like I'm a very introverted person. I don't seek people out. I don't seek out friendships. So if you can, whatever path you're going on, if it's a weight loss journey and an alcohol thing, whatever road you're on, when you decide to start going against what everyone does, when everyone's going out to, to get a drink after work or eating poorly, whatever the thing is, so many of our habits are, are social environment things. And when you start turning away from them, it just gets so lonely. So I would highly recommend that anyone who's pursuing a path like this to seek out community, seek out groups that are similar, seek out podcasts like this that, that are there to help you feel less lonely on that journey because it is so isolating and you do lose a lot of friends on the way. You lose a lot of those connections because those people don't understand what you're going through. It doesn't make sense to them. Why would you choose this harder road? But the reason to take to make the choice is because it is a more fulfilling one and it is a healthier one. And in the end, you will feel better. But especially in the beginning, it's incredibly painful and, and isolating. And in those two years while you were facing these fears, were they any one or two people who were champions, who were your go-to people who you could really rely on during the isolation? And my therapist changed my sure. life. hes I've always joked with him that he's my Yoda. He's the person I turned to when everything seemed confusing or chaotic or messy. Zach was a big help. I, I could turn to him because he, again, he was a few steps ahead of me on the same path. He had he'd quit drinking uh, a little while ahead of me, I think a year or two ahead of me. And of course, my family. But I also know that's a heavy burden to put on family. And I don't like to put that on them because just existing in a family is a challenge. It, it can feel like there's greater risk with family. It, it would be hard to turn to my wife and share that I was struggling because I don't want her to have to worry about me. She has to worry about enough. We've got to take care of the kids. We've got to do all these things. And there's safety in a therapist because there's no judgment, right? They're, they are literally paid to listen to your problems and, and help you find a way through them. Where when you turn to someone who's that close, it can also be deceiving, right? Like the people closest to you love you for all kinds of reasons. And so it's easy for them to dismiss the way you see yourself or the struggles that you're going through because they're just saying they see this person that they love and it can be so much harder for them to understand the dark voices in your head and the things that you're thinking about yourself and how hard you're being on yourself because they love you. So trying to get them to understand this is the voice that just repeats in my head all day and it is an ugly one that does not want me around much. That's a really hard thing to communicate to, to the closest people to you sometimes. So definitely my therapist and, and then the friends that I knew that had been in a similar situation. It was, uh, those were the people I turned to the most. 
In this context, I like something that Brene Brown had written in her book, and I'm paraphrasing here. She says, the kind of people you look for are the ones who say to you, I know you're down in the trenches. I'm not going to put my hand up and lift you up. Instead, I'm going to come down, sit with you. I'll sit yes. as long as you want. And only when you're ready to go, mm-hmm. we'll get up. So I think yeah. that kind of community, people who are meeting you where you are, who understand what you're going through, they're not putting any judgment or hurry and letting you move at your own pace. Yeah, that's exactly it. Sharing that kind of pain with my wife doesn't want me to struggle. She doesn't want me to feel that pain. She wants to lift me up out of the mud and help and solve the problem. I do the same thing to her when she's complaining. How can I fix it? Let's put a bandaid on it right now. Let go of all the stuff. Let's just fix it and feel better. Because you want to swoop in and you want to help those closest to you. But the people that I think have a little bit more distance, uh, it's a little bit easier for them to say, yeah, I know. I, I see that. I hear that. Tell me more. What role did vulnerability play in your journey? Acceptance, vulnerability, where you are? Well, I think for me, it was it was probably the key to my journey was to be open and honest with myself about my shortcomings and my issues and the things that I was struggling with and realizing that I can't tackle those myself all the time. I need help. I need a therapist. I need to talk to Jeremy. I need to talk to friends and read books and let people know what my goals are so that I can achieve them. I think vulnerability is probably the number one thing that, you know, I was lacking and why I was stuck in such a horrible pattern in my life. And as soon as I started to open up about some of the things I was struggling with, the community, like we talked about, the community of people who I needed to help me get through that just started showing up. And even to this day, anything that I struggle with that I start talking about, that I start putting out there, um, people show up, like random coaches show up to help me through things that I need to get through. And honestly, if you're not being vulnerable, if you're not communicating areas where you're struggling or where you're having trouble, nobody's going to be able to read your mind and come and help you out of it. You need to communicate that stuff. What about books and resources? Just changing track, you talked about that. What were some really powerful books, podcasts, resources, movies that helped you during this journey? I know for me, one that changed my entire perception of what depression was is a book called Lost Connections. It's by a guy named Johan Hari. He's done some incredible work in in this area. And reading his book was the first time that I realized that I guess depression isn't so much a a diagnosis and maybe it's not a, a lifetime diagnosis, but it's something that happens when you don't feel connected, you know, when, when you don't feel heard, when you don't feel seen It's a survival mechanism. And that was reinforced with an interview that we did just a few months ago, where I really learned that I begin to feel overwhelmed when I feel like I'm saying the same things over and over again and not being heard, when I'm Mm. struggling in some way and nobody seems to know it or or offer to help or or step in or acknowledge it in any way. And that overwhelm from sort of feeling like a ghost turns into depression. And it was in that interview I mentioned that we did a few months ago where I learned that it's really something that I started doing as a kid is in order to have my needs met to be seen, to be heard, I needed to shut down. Not like I was playing some game, but I would get depressed. And then all of a sudden people would swoop in and, oh, are you okay? What's going on? Do you need help? Do you you need a hug? Whatever. And while that's the intention there is good, I was training my brain. I was hardwiring my brain to go, 
hey, anytime you need your needs met, just completely shut down and the world will swoop in to help. And so I have to communicate this to my family even now, like my, my kids and my wife, when, I ha- when I'm constantly saying, hey guys, I need you to whatever the chores are or help with the things or clean out the car or whatever. And they don't do it, don't even acknowledge that I spoke, whatever. It's not a big deal. But after a few days of that same pattern, I start feeling like, does anybody even hear me? Am, am I even in the room? Like my, my sense of identity in the family starts to sever and that's when I start getting overwhelmed with these feelings of fear of what role do, what role do I even serve here? Am, am I even useful to this family? And I start, you know, all the messages start. And then it triggers this depression where I literally just, I shut down and I can't smile. I barely speak. I just drift through the house. I, I almost literally start acting like a ghost. Nobody sees me. And that's when my wife will say, hey, are you okay? What's going on? Or the kids will randomly come up and give me a hug because the look on my face is I'm sad or I'm hurting. And so I try really hard. Depression's a a tricky beast. Mm. I try really hard to communicate with them. Guys, I'm not being heard. I need to be seen in what I'm sharing with you. I need to be heard in what I'm telling you. So so please listen. Like I try and just really articulate that this is what's going to make dad feel sad for a week if you guys Mm. can't like see me. I'm not saying you have to do what I'd say to do, but please acknowledge it or explain why you can't or whatever. And it is just so interesting to know now as an adult, it is this defense mechanism that I've created to have my needs met when they are otherwise not being met. And so I'm trying really hard to learn new ways to communicate what my needs are because I otherwise always just thought I'm depressed again. It's, it's like the flu. You, you just catch it every once in a while and you got to sit in a dark room for a few days and eventually it passes and it goes away. I know now there are things I can do to prevent it for the most part. It's, it's not always going to be successful, but, but that comes directly from reading Johan's book and, and talking to him about that very thing. Is there anything else, Jeremy and Zach, you think that could be useful to people about your journey? Yeah, I would say just like I said earlier to really be curious about yourself and to be okay with being wrong and be okay with being afraid of what you're going to take on. I know a lot of the things that I looked at in myself and said, I need to make that better were based on beliefs that were instilled in me as a child or as an adult that I believed wholeheartedly And I really had to open my mind up to changing those opinions and being wrong in some cases about how the world works or how I work. So I would say being really curious about yourself and being okay with being wrong and being okay with being afraid because Mm. these changes are terrifying. Even the little ones, they can be super terrifying. But when you get into that, that, that mode of being uncomfortable when you get afraid, that's where you're actually going to take that next step and you're actually going to grow more. And I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned in our journey is one of the more recent ones. And it's that don't ever wait around for motivation. Don't sit there saying, oh, on Monday, I'm going to start or I just need to get motivated to start doing the, you know, fill in the blank. Motivation, I think, is a scam. It's, it starts mm-hmm. with action. It starts with saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to start running three times a week but I need accountability. So Zach, I'm going to text you three times a week and tell you that I did it. And if I don't, I need you to, to call me out on it. Even just, just doing that, just, it just starts with taking the action. If you mm-hmm. keep waiting around for someone to, to roll up to your front door and knock on the door and say, hey, let's go do whatever the thing is, it's never going to happen. Motivation is created by the action that you take to build the habit 
that becomes your identity. So if, if, if I can encourage you to do anything, if, if you're on a weight loss journey, if you're trying to quit drinking, if you're trying to get a promotion, whatever the thing is that you keep trying to get motivated to do, or one of these days you're gonna, today's the day. And maybe today's not the day that you storm into your boss's office and say, hey, I need a raise or a promotion. But maybe today's the day that you start charting why you deserve it. So that next week you can go into your boss's office with that document that says, here's why I deserve more. You need to start taking some concrete steps, some actual action toward whatever that goal is before it ever can become a habit and becomes the identity that, that you're trying to become. Here's the question I ask everyone just before the end, and this is for the two of you. At the end of your life, how would you know you've lived a good life? I can't answer that with, I'll, I'll let you know when I get there. I actually have thought about that a couple of times, and I know that at the end of the day, I'm going to have regrets. And if my regrets are small and not monumental, I know I've had a good life. And if I have any really big regrets of things I didn't do or things I didn't take care of or love people in, in a certain way, I think that's where I'm going to have a problem. I want to have small regrets, not a lot of big regrets. It's funny. Mine also circles around regret. And I think that's what most of us try and avoid for the most part in our lives. And the thing I tell my kids all the time is you're only going to regret the things that you didn't do way more than the things that you did. You might do something and, and get hurt, but you'll always know that you chose to try and you got hurt instead of spending the next 20 years, 30 years, 40 years wondering, what if I'd done that thing? I, I see it all the time. I saw it today. My, my kids were doing this program at school where they were kayaking and it was the one kid that chose to not flip upside down in his kayak to learn how to get out of it in case that ever happened on accident. The entire class did it, but this one kid didn't. And I saw him and I went, that was me. When I was a kid, I was afraid and I let fear prevent me from being a part of the tribe, from being a part of the gang that had this shared experience. And I felt bad for that kid because for 20 years, that kid is going to now carry that memory of the time that he said no, that he was too afraid and he gave into the fear. I don't ever want to do that again. There are things that I know that I don't need to do and, and I'm okay with saying no to them. But if there's something that is safe that will be fun, that will be a memory that I'll cherish rather than one that I'll work having taken a part of. Uh, I'm saying yes every time because I don't want at the end of my life to be going, oh man, I wish I'd done that one experience. I know it's really late. I know, Zach, it's 10 p.m. in New York, Jeremy. It's <laughs> 7 p.m. in Seattle. Really appreciate you guys making time for this. This was such an interesting conversation. We can go on and on, but I know we have a time limit. It's late. And I Truly appreciate you guys making time and creating this beautiful conversation that we had. Yeah, thank you oh, for thank having us. Thank you so us. much for the opportunity and for, for creating space uh, for conversations like this to exist. Thank you, Zach and Jeremy, for such an open, honest conversation. For folks interested in their podcast, we will drop the details in the show notes. Zach and Jeremy ended the podcast with thoughts around minimizing regrets. However, despite our best attempts, we often do things that we will go on and regret later. So how should we think about regrets? How can we grow from them to do better in the future? We discuss the power of regrets in episode 18 on this podcast. For those interested, please do check it out. If today's episode resonated with you, here's one action step you could consider. Reflect on a compulsive habit that's coming in the way of your fitness. Maybe it's eating junk food or smoking or anything else. Instead of taking this habit head-on, simply get curious about it. What are the cravings like? Where do they come from? What's your automatic response? What happens when you satisfy the craving? 
and so on. As you do this, be gentle with yourself. Don't judge yourself. We're not here to break the habit. All we're doing is trying to understand it better. Do this a few times and see what you discover. This could be important information whenever you decide to break the habit. Best of luck. That's it for today's episode. The next episode will drop two weeks from now on August 16th. In that episode, we speak on loneliness with human connections expert Simone Heng. Hope you join me for that. Till next time, have a wonderful day ahead. Bye-bye.